Anybody particularly cold right now? You're like just freezing. You are? Here. Hand warmer. Anybody else want a hand warmer? It won't be good in a little while. There you go. Stay nice and warm in church. It's good to be warm in church. Good to see you today. Yeah, so we got to celebrate Shelly's birthday yesterday. Yeah. I always laugh because she's born, you know, two minutes before Valentine's Day. So instead of being a Valentine baby, she was a Friday the 13th baby. Oh, well. <laughs> but uh, we, we, had a, we had a good time with that. And I uh, hope you're enjoying the cold. I, I had to laugh, you know. Last week, at the end of all three services, I made this comment, you know, we'll be together unless the pipes burst and the place burns down. And then all week long, I'm like, why did I say that? It's going to be just my luck that the place burns and they're going to come after me or something. So all week I've been wandering around looking for everything, making sure everything is in great shape. And it is. Thanks for braving the cold to be out here today. You're going to find it to be an incredibly special day. We're going to be doing some things we haven't done for a long time. So uh, good to be able to be back together with that. Take a look at the, um, the update from yesterday. Anything you want to highlight there? A couple things. First, quest opportunities. Um, there are all kinds of opportunities to get signed up to volunteer with Quest. And if you go through the app to sign up, you go to the, the groups tab and you hit serving groups, and then you're going to be scrolling for like two and a half minutes because there's like a thousand different jobs. And they are, they range from um, everything from small group leader to, to set design. I mean, there's, there's everything possible that you could think on there. So if, if you're interested in, in helping out with Quest this year, go ahead and, and check out all the different options because there's definitely something that you can do. It's not, it's not overwhelming. So um, pretty cool. Uh, along with camp, Green Lake. Green Lake registration is open. We've had a lot of early bird signups. We do have that early bird rate. So the sooner you sign up, the more money you'll save. Uh, so make sure that you go, and if you're planning on going with us from June 6th to June 11th, um, make sure you go on the website and get signed up for that. And finally, we have our spring musical. And that auditions are this week yep. on the 16th, I believe. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we've been you know, catching from people is, oh, musical, I'm scared, I'm scared to sing, I'm scared to try. Uh, don't, don't get overly stressed about it. It really, it's going to be a lot of fun, a great opportunity again to, to share the message of, of, of Jesus. And uh, so go ahead and get signed up for those auditions. That's going to be a, a great time to share. We started a new series last week. Um, for a lot of us, we're at that place that we just, we want to experience normal again. We're ready for some normal. And we don't want to jump too quickly and just assume that normal is what was. There are a lot of things that we did that weren't necessarily great, and it's good that we put them behind. But for a, for a believer, normal is defined quite differently than it is for the rest of the world. And so we're taking some time to look at uh, a series of psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. They're called the Psalms of Ascents. And as we look at those psalms, we're, we're discovering what normal looks like for a person who's a pilgrim in this world for a person who's, who's walking the journey of this life. So last week we looked at Psalm 120, and part of what we learned that was normal in that, psalm, in that psalm is that if you feel at home here as a believer, that's not normal. If you're waking up every day, you're looking at the news and you're saying, what a mess. If you're looking around at the world and saying, I just don't feel like I fit, that's normal. That's normal for a Christ follower. Dissonance is normal. Feeling like you don't fit is normal. Now we come to Psalm 121. 
Psalm 120 is a psalm of lament. It's a, it's a cry to God for something different. Psalm 121 isn't a lament at all. It's joyful. It's hopeful. It's a, it's a great psalm. And so I'm going to have you read Psalm 121, just like last week. I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version, which is a very literal translation of the Hebrew text. And then from the message, also a, a translation of the Hebrew text, but very non-literal. It's more flowery. It, it gets more to the, the modern meaning behind the words. And then I have a question I want to ask you. Okay, so go ahead and read Psalm 121 in the English Standard Version. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your feet be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm is traditionally referred to as the traveler's psalm, a psalm, a psalm for a journey. You know, and you can hear it. You can hear everything about not stumbling, not stubbing your toe as you're on the journey, keeping the sun off you, not getting sunburned, keeping you from all evil that might be on the road. And again, because it's part of the Psalms of Ascents, they were on a journey. They're, they're on their pilgrimage one of three times a year, Passover or Pentecost or, or the Feast of Ingathering. And they're going from wherever they live to Jerusalem. And so they're, they're, they're singing this psalm as a group together, this traveler song saying, we, we look for our protection and God is our protection. Go ahead and read it now from the message. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and mountains. He won't let you stumble. Your guardian God won't fall asleep. Not on your life. Israel's guardian will never doze or sleep. God's your guardian at your right, right at your side to protect you, shielding you from sunstroke, sheltering you from moonstroke. God guards you from every evil, and he guards your very life. He guards you when you leave and when you return, and he guards you now as he guards you always. So here's the question that I have for you. I learned this verse, the, the first verse in particular, about a million years ago, back in a day when, when my church and most churches used a version of the Bible called the King James Bible. You didn't have NLTs and NIVs and all the other versions out there. You basically had the King James. You might use the American Standard. That one was uh, translated in 1901. There was another one called the Revised Standard. There were a few, but for the most part, the King James was it. And so when you read the King James Version of verse 1, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help, period. I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh, or from where my help comes, period. So it's a statement. I'm looking at the hills because that's where my help comes from. All the other translations, even the other two that I mentioned already that are older, all the other translations translate that line as a question, not as a statement. They don't say, I look to the hills from where my help comes. They say, I look to the hills. Does my help come from there? Does my help come from the hills? Now, what I want to know from you is, what difference does it make 
in reading that, if you read it as a statement as opposed to a question. And here's what I did. You know, a lot of times, because we do this in more than one service, if Brian answers a question in the first service and then here's the answer, he looks brilliant in the next two, I made him leave the room. So this is fresh again. He, he still doesn't know the answer to this. and We'll have to decide if we'll do it for a third or if we'll, or if we'll, or if we'll let you go ahead and get in on this. But, I'm saying I'm stupid enough to not look up the answer or try <laughs> what, and search it. What difference? I mean, if I'm reading as a statement, how would I read it differently as a statement than I might read it as a question? Well, when you read something that has a period at the end, there's, there's an assertion being made. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's confidence in it that's knowable, and it's, it's something that you, you can acknowledge to be true because you, you are confident in that. The question obviously leads uh, to a lot of open doors. And so when you ask me why that might be, I kind of thought, again, teach your brain. When you're trying to teach somebody something or trying to reinforce an idea, you ask questions to, not because you don't know the answer, but to kind of reaffirm what the answer is. So you ask the question and then, and then give the answer so that it becomes a part of, of your knowledge base. So, so you think it might be a, a, a teaching tactic? Teaching a tactic. Way of, a way of getting you to think a little more. Yeah, either for, again, you're, you're talking about traveling, right? So it could be with the people you're around. It could be just reinforcement for yourself. Um, I don't know. You know that beautiful line, there are no wrong answers? This is the wrong That's answer. That's the wrong answer. So, but, um, so hold on. So anyway. Hold on, hold on. How quickly do you answer this question? I, 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 it'll, take, it'll take probably about 10 minutes. You want to come back in about 10 minutes? <sighs> yeah, I do. All right, see ya. I'm going to come up with a different right, guess for some. Good. Don't go looking in books. I'm not and, looking and, in books. But you read. might pay some of these folks after the service. They'd be glad to give you the answer, I'm sure. So, so... Give them enough time to get out of here. What we're going to do is, just like we did last week, we're going we're gonna to look at this psalm, asking it some questions in order to try to understand better what's happening in this p- particular passage. So the first question we'd ask for clear understanding is, why would one look to the mountains for help? I lift my eyes to the hills. My help comes from there. Or I lift my eyes to the hills. Does my help come from there? Why in the world would you look to the mountains for help? Now, as we already said, King James gives this as a statement. All the others give it as a question. So let's read it both ways. As a statement, there are a couple of ways you could read this. One would be just to read it naturally. I look to the mountains and I see strength. Nate right now lives in Colorado Springs. He lives right on the road. It's called Northgate. Northgate goes right on into the Air Force Academy. So if you're standing at the back of his apartment and look out, you can see the Air Force Academy nestled down there in the, in the valley just below the mountains. You look off to this side, you can see Pikes Peak. You can see these majestic, amazing mountains. And as you look at mountains, you think strength. Mountains are, are strong, they're sturdy, they're enduring. I, it's hard for us to imagine as, you know, middle of Illinois people, our biggest mountain is the one over there on I-80 that we built with our garbage. Outside of that, we, we just don't have mountains, right? So you look at a mountain, you think strength, strong stability. I look at a mountain and I think a mountain is majestic, just like God, strong and majestic. So, so there might be that natural read as they were looking at mountains, they saw strength. There might even be um, 
that idea, you know, when, when we, we have this little phrase when we're in trouble, head to the hills, head to the hills, right? Why do we head to the hills? We're going to go hide. We're going to hide in the hills. A little harder these days with modern technology, heat-seeking devices and everything else. It might be a little harder to head to the hills and hide the way it used to be, but, but there are these natural strengths. There, there could also be a spiritual analogy here, a spiritual translation. As they're on this journey from wherever they live to Jerusalem, they're approaching Jerusalem and they can see Mount Zion. They can see the temple at the top of the hill. They see it and, they, and they're looking and saying, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I see it right there. There's the temple of the living God. I see it. There's the source of my strength. So if you're reading it as a statement, there are a couple of ways to read it that would be quite legitimate. The problem is the King James got it wrong. It is a question. It is a question. It's not a statement. Now, as I read it as a question, I'm going to be honest, it's a lot more disconcerting to me. Because unlike someone who views it as a teaching tactic, I'm looking and going, I don't get it. Why would, you, why would you say, I lift my eyes to the hills? Does my strength come from there? And the implied answer is, no, it does not. My strength doesn't come from the hills. My strength comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Why in the world... Does the psalmist reject the hills as a source of strength? Well, think about the hills in Israel. Think about what we know in the Old Testament. When a new king became king of Judah, they were given a command by God. They wanted, God wanted obey the Lord with all your heart and go in and tear down all the high places. In fact, a king was judged as good or bad as to whether or not they ripped down the high places. What were the high places? They were the altars built on the top of the mountains, the altars built on the top of the hills to the false gods of that time, the altars built by the pagan people who were there before the Israelites took over the land. So you might be walking along the road and you see this mountain over there and you know that if you went to the top of that mountain, you could go worship Baal. And if you went to this mountain over here, you could worship another false god. And you went to this mountain over here, you could worship another false god. And so the psalmist is saying as they're going along the journey, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Does my help come from there? No, that's Baal. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Does my help come from that mountain over there? No, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What he was saying in effect is, stop looking at the mountains and start looking at the clouds. You got to lift your eyes a little bit higher. You got to stop looking at the sources around you that claim to be sources of help and hope. And you got to lift your eyes higher to God and to God alone. Totally different meaning that comes out of this text. Now, fortunately in our times, we don't worship pagan religions. We don't have this problem. We only worship God. We don't have these hills where we go and, and sacrifice to Baal and sacrifice to, to this God and that God and the other God. We only have God. Well, there's something going on in this passage that's being spoken against that truly has been part of every age and it's the word syncretism. Here's your, here's your $4 word for the day that you can use at lunch and look really smart. Syncretism. Syncretism is the amalgamation or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, and schools of thought. In our time, people would call this open-mindedness. I look at all the religions around me, 
And there are so many great ideas. There are so many things to be learned from here, there, and everywhere that I'm going to do God a la carte. I'm going to do Jesus and. I'm, I'm going to get some of the, I, I want Jesus. Jesus would be my main course. But I don't mind having a little bit of, you know, potatoes Buddha and a, a little bit of carrots Islam. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of build a nice, well-rounded meal of all the religions. I'll give you an example from our times of what's happening in our, in our culture. So our family not too long ago cut the Comcast cord. Feels so good. Woo! Goodbye, Bill. All that sort of stuff. And, uh, and now we're doing apps, which cost more. So... Um, <clears throat> We have this one app that we're using, and, and if the commercials don't line up perfectly with the uh, network, a pretty picture will come on. Oh, it's so, oh, it's so pretty. A lot of times it's a mountain or Bambi or, you know, some pretty picture. And it'll say, enjoy the Zen. Enjoy the Zen. Nice Buddhist concept. Enjoy the Zen. I've, I've said it so many times that my family is sick of it. I wonder what would happen if it came up and said, enjoy the peace of Christ. Take some time to relax in the mind of Christ. I promise you, that app would be dropped left and right. Stop shoving religion down my throat. Stop telling me i got to love Jesus. Stop telling me how to live my life. Enjoy the Zen. Someone's shoving their religion down your throat, and you don't even know it. You're just enjoying the Zen. You're just having your Zen moment. You see, we're, we're doing a lot of Jesus and. We're doing a lot of, I lift my eyes and I love God, but that mountain over there is helping me out. This mountain over here is pretty good, and I like a little bit of that God over there. We're picking and choosing. We're a la carting our God instead of relying on God alone. He says normal for the Christian is to depend on God alone. There is no Jesus and. It's I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, period. It's relying wholeheartedly on God, not on all the other stuff out there too in place of God. So what I'd like to do this morning is talk about three mountains of our time. Three mountains that don't necessarily have bales sitting on top of them, but they have our modern bales. And as I do this, I, I got I to set this up a little bit. One, would you, would you just please hear it for what I'm saying instead of trying to read the code language behind it? Stop trying to figure out what, what my political agenda is or what I think of COVID or God knows what. Put all that aside, okay? Think bigger. Just think bigger. Think, think of what's going on in terms of our relationship with God and the mountains around us. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is Listen to the whole conversation, okay? I, I, this is one of those that I'd much rather be having it one-on-one -on -one because I'm sure some of the things I'm going to say, it's going to raise a question. Don't automatically judge that you know where I'm going with this. It probably requires more unpacking, but unfortunately, sermons are a one-way deal that lasts about 25 minutes. So here we go. <clears throat> Here's our first mountain, the mountain of science. The mountain of science says, I need a source of knowledge. I'm turning to science for my knowledge. I'm turning to science. Science is where I get all my answers. And so I turn to science. I turn to the science, and the science will tell me everything I need to know. Science will tell me about the origins of the world. Science will tell me about everything I need to know about how to live a safe life here and now. Science will tell me everything. I need science. 
Now, I think one of the big mistakes that people make, science and religion, science and God, it's not, this isn't an either or. I don't either choose God or I choose science. You can be a firmly biblical, devoted Christ follower and believe science, okay? They are not contradictory. In fact, good science demonstrates that God knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows exactly what he's talking about. But here's what's happened with science. I know I'm old, and I I live in a time that I did old math, you do new math. I don't know if there's old science and new science, but here's the way old science worked. You put a hypothesis on the table, and then you question the hypothesis. You didn't put a hypothesis on the table and say, fact, end of story, case closed, done. Science these days, the word science is used to basically say, shut up. It's right, you're wrong. It's declared as absolute truth, period. Science was never intended to be taken that way. Science was intended to be questioned and tested and challenged. Do you know what was not intended to be questioned, tested, and challenged? This. (laughs) We were supposed to approach the Word of God and say, if God says it, I believe it. We have no problem questioning the Word of God. But science, ooh. I don't know. Should I question? People think I'm a Neanderthal. People think I'm unintelligent. People will wonder about me. We're afraid to question science when, in fact, the very nature of science is to ask questions. The very nature of science is to challenge it, not to just accept it as a form of gospel. But we've come to a place of accepting it as a form of gospel. I was listening to a, a radio talk show host not too long ago, and he said, you know, it's funny, the word science is a way of saying, case closed. We've won our argument. You just need to be quiet. He says, when people say the word science these days, they say it the way people said, thus saith the Lord in the Old Testament. Except in the Old Testament, people did not believe, thus saith the Lord, the way they believe the word science in our times. We find ourselves saying, I love God. But if that mountain over there is telling me that what this book has said is wrong, the mountain's right. We need to challenge and question the mountain. Because the only source that we're supposed to be relying on is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let me go to a second one. And the second one is substances. For science, we look for stability. We look for the source of knowledge. In substances, we're looking for stability. We're looking for peace. We're looking for relief from anxiety. We're looking to, to have our stresses go away. And so, and so we're looking to substances as a source of, of just lasting, of lasting peace. Now this one, you, you really got to hear my heart on this, okay? I believe with all my heart that, that God gave us, God gave us people who are really smart. And those really smart people have been able to invent uh, medications and other forms of of help that help people not only during times of stress, but help them perhaps if they have a longer-term chemical imbalance. I'm the last person on earth to say you should never, ever, ever take medication that helps you with stress, anxiety, that helps you with those sorts of things, okay? Here's what I am saying. Too often in our times, that's where we're turning first. We're turning straight to medicine instead of turning to God. 
We're turning straight. We're turning straight to those things. We've come to a point in, a, in our society that we honestly believe a life well lived should never face anxiety. It should never face stress. It should never face a challenge. You know what anxiety, stress, and challenges? It's human life. If you're living in a broken, sinful world, there's going to be anxiety and challenges and stress. And God actually wants to use those seasons of anxiety and challenge and stress in order to grow us to the next stage of our walk with Him. And for some of us, we're way too quickly short-circuiting that walk because we're turning to a substance, whether it is one prescribed by a doctor or one found in a bottle or one that we roll and smoke, whatever it might be, we're turning to these substances for our relief rather than turning to God Himself. All I'm doing is saying, look at the mountain today and ask yourself the question, am I relying on that mountain instead of relying on God? So again, there is a place for all these things. Any good therapist, any therapist worth their weight is going to say this. There are seasons in which a person may need some help. But the goal is to ultimately work yourself off of those things, not to just stay on them permanently. The goal is to get back to that place of stability in your life. And so uh, I think it's really important to think that through. Again, I say this really, really carefully, okay? Please don't walk away from church today and say, Pastor thinks I'm sinning because I'm taking pills. No, no, not at all. Here's the other thing I need to say. If you are on something and you're thinking, you know what, I'm tired of that mountain, please don't go off that without talking to your doctor, all right? You, you, need to, you need to do this along with your doctor, known too many people who self-medicate with this sort of thing. I'm feeling okay now. I'm not going to take it. I'm not feeling great. I'm going to take it now. I had a friend who decided to self-medicate, and two weeks later, her 17-year-old son found her hanging in her garage. It's serious. You don't play around with this stuff. You don't play around with this stuff. But just... Be aware that that may be a mountain where you're saying, I'm not turning to God first. Be aware of that. Let me give you a third mountain, and this is the mountain of stimulation. Brian talked about this, right, with his fast. Stimulation is seeking a source of satisfaction. I'm looking for satisfaction in my life. So it may be as simple as always having the music on, always having the TV on, always having something coming my way, always got to be doing something, always got to be having fun, always got to have tickets to go somewhere. I'm going to this concert. I'm going to this game. I'm always going somewhere. You know, kids these days, I laugh so much. They'll say, I'm bored, I'm bored. And what do we do? Well, we provide things for them so they won't be bored. You know what happened when I said I was bored to my dad? He's like, yeah, so what? And that's life. Life is boring sometimes, right? And it's in the boredom that we learn how to find satisfaction in things that matter, how to find satisfaction in God. But instead, we're, we're overstimulated to the point that we don't even have a chance to grow dissatisfied long enough <clears throat> that we would pursue satisfaction in God. And then there are, there are, there are, there are uh, bad forms of stimulation as well like porn pornography and other things that we use as ways of trying to provide satisfaction for a need in our lives. All three of these are modern mountains where we might say, I've got Jesus, but, but I need a little bit of that or a little bit of this or a little bit of that mountain in order to bring my life to completion. And God is saying, the psalmist is saying, 
My help is in the Lord and the Lord alone. There is no Jesus and, it's Jesus only. Continue with the psalm as you're trying to understand it. One of the things that is really helpful is to look at a psalm and ask it some questions. And one of the questions is, what are the repeated words? What are the words we see again and again? This one is one of those psalms that, that you get hit in the face with them. I mean, you see that capital Lord? Five times. Lord, 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 Lord. Capital Lord is the word for Yahweh. This is, this is God's name. I don't know if y'all have nicknames. You know, some of you, your nickname might be, your cute name is Pee Wee, but then, but then you also have this, this nickname that, you know, Stud, okay? This is, God's, this is God's stud name. This is God's brute force. I am Yahweh. I am strong. I am a mountain. I am invincible. That's this name. It's a, it's a name of strength. God is bringing all of his strength to the table in this psalm. And what's the other word? Do you see the other word you see repeated a lot? What is it? Lord, what else? Guard, some form of guard, right? Don't you want someone strong guarding you? You know, yeah, I mean, you walk up to, you see the security guard at a a place and and not well-armed and looking kind of wimpy, and you're like, dang, I was hoping you'd be bigger. I was, hope, I, was hope, I was hoping you could take out the bad guy. I didn't want to protect you. I was hoping you'd protect me, right? God, the strong God, guards us. He guards us on the journey because the journey is dangerous. The journey has problems. He says, you could stumble and fall. He says, you could, you could end up with sunburn. You could, you could end up with sunstroke. He says, evil is all around. You want a strong guard on the journey. Now, it's interesting Verse 4 mentions this idea that, that God might take a snooze. And you don't have to worry because he never slumbers or sleeps. Why in the world would the psalmist even bring up God sleeping? I mean, why, God taking a nap. Why would, why would he even bring that to the table? Well, if you go back to 1 Kings 18, you remember they're on a mountaintop, Mount Carmel. And at the top of Mount Carmel is an, a, an altar to Baal, a place that they worshipped Baal. Baal was known for love and naps. The God Baal was known for love and naps, and you had to wake him up. And there were some uh, disgusting ways that you woke him up, and there were some violent ways that you woke him up. In this particular case, Elijah suggests maybe Baal's taking a nap, maybe he's asleep. And so the people started cutting themselves in bleeding to get his attention. He's saying, you don't have to get God's attention. His eye is always on you. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows the details of your life. He is fully aware of you all the time. How about this whole sun and moon thing? He mentions the sun harming us. I guess we get that, right? I mean, you're walking along in the desert, the sun's beating down, I might get sunburn, I might get sunstroke. He provides shade for us, but, but he says that the sun won't harm you at day nor the moon by night. I've never been afraid of the moon. I've never been afraid of getting moonburn. I've never wondered, is the moon going to hurt me? I just, what's, was he just being balanced? Yeah, hey, we've got our daytime thing and our nighttime thing. What's going on here? Well, clearly, nighttime is a fearful time. Nighttime is a time if you were traveling that you could get attacked. You don't know what's out just beyond the shadows. But many suggest that there's something else going on here. He's talking about sunstroke and moonstroke, and moonstroke being seasons of anxiety. 
seasons of, seasons of mental and emotional struggle, dark, long nights when you can't sleep and you just wish the sun would rise again. And he says, I protect you when the sun's beating down on you and I protect you on those nights that you're staring at the moon saying, I just want a good night's sleep. All I want is a good night's sleep. He's there for us through all of that. So the final question is, what is this psalm promising? What's this psalm promising? You know, you look at it. I'm not looking to the mountains for my help. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He's not going to let me stub my toe. He's going to watch over. I'm never going to get a sunburn. I'm never going to get sunstroke. No harm is ever going to come to me. I... God's got me, he's guarding me, and the trip is going to be problem-free. Does this describe any of your lives? I, I tell you what, more and more I get to the top of the steps, and I'm like, you better pay attention, you're going to fall down break a hip, you know? I mean, I've known Christians who have stubbed their toes. I've known Christians who have gotten sunburn. I've known Christians who have had sunstroke. I've known Christians who have long nights, long sleepless nights. I've known Christians who have had harm fall to them. Is this passage somehow suggesting we're not living right? If we just live a little better, we wouldn't have any problems? I don't think so at all. I love what Eugene Peterson writes. He says, the promise of the psalm, and both Hebrew and Christians have always read it this way, is not that we shall never stub our toe, or that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will ever have evil power over us, that is, will ever be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. Here's what the psalm is saying. God's purposes are always accomplished. The purpose of the journey, the purpose for which God has you on this journey is always accomplished. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's not saying there will never have a, be a problem. It's not saying there will never be a struggle. It's not saying that. It's saying despite the problems and despite the struggles, God's purposes will be realized in your life. I think there are some people, honestly, that when it came to COVID, there was a naive strain of Christianity that says, if I live for God, I won't get it. If I live for God, I'll be problem free. Everybody else might get this, but I'm not going to. You know, it's interesting going back and looking at history. Around 250 AD, there was a religious leader, his name was Dionysus of Alexandria, and he talked about the plague that was taking place at that time. It lasted for about 10 years throughout the Roman Empire. And in that plague, he, he talks about this concept that we've talked about, that during a plague, the rich head to the hills and the church heads to the streets. Here's what he said about the rich. He said, at the, at the first onset of the disease, they, the pagans pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, fled from those they loved, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. So that describes what, what godless people were doing. And then he says, and this is what the people of God did. Most of our Christian brothers and sisters showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, 
They departed this life serenely happy. You know what that says? They died. They died. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing for others transferred their death, the death of the other person, to themselves and died in their stead. There is no promise of flowery beds of ease. There is no promise that because I'm doing this in the name of Jesus, I will not get sick, I won't stub my toe. Here's the promise. God's will will always be accomplished. God's desire will always be accomplished. You know what happened within 100 years of this event? Christianity has declared the religion of the world. And why is it declared the religion of the world? Because of the way Christians acted during tragedy. Christians didn't act like the world. Christians kept caring. Christians kept showing the love of Christ. Christians kept engaged in helping other people, realizing that the cause was not just their own individual existence, but the cause of Christ that was to be spread throughout the world. The Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk uninterruptedly with our Lord. Not a fantasy trip to a heavenly city where we can compare blue ribbons and gold medals with those, uh, uh, with those of others who have made it to the winner's circle. To suppose that or expect that is the wrong way. The Christian life is going to God. It's always going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. They breathe the same air. They drink the same water. They shop in the same stores. They read the same newspapers. They're citizens under the same government. They pay the same price for groceries and gasoline. They fear the same dangers. They're subject to the same pressures. They get the same distresses, and they're buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God, and therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will guard us from every evil. He guards our very life. God's purposes for your life will be accomplished. Despite the dangers of the journey, God's purposes for your life will be accomplished. You see, the norm for the Christian is reliance. Not reliance on that mountain or that mountain or that mountain. My hope is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I look beyond the hills and I look to the clouds. And I depend on the Lord of all. That's normal. That's normal for those of us who follow Jesus. Father God in heaven, help us to embrace the normal, to embrace what it means to be devoted Christ followers. We love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you don't mind, just give me a moment here. I, I want to talk to the, the camera back there. Those of you watching live and those of you that will be watching a little bit later today, uh, we're going we're gonna to be ending our time with you here in just a couple moments. And uh, one of the things that I feel the need to, to bring up with you is um, I'm just, I'm hearing more and more stories of kids and adults who are in a season of real struggle, real struggle, real, real internal anxiety and sadness. 
And a lot of that anxiety and sadness has come from um, staying home and staying away from people. And it's, and it's come to the point that there is a, um, it's hard to get out. It's hard to get up. It's hard to even want to. I, let me admit my own little journey here. I grew up in Buffalo. I love cold and snow. I'm so sick of this, I can't stand it. I am so sick of it. I wake up in the morning and I'm supposed to leave the house and I don't, I don't even want to, go, I don't want to go outside. Can't stand the thought of the cold on my skin. Can't stand having to shovel one more time. And I think for a lot of us, whether it's the weather or what's going on in the world or just what COVID has done to us, um, more and more we're finding ourselves in a sad, deep place. And we don't even realize we're sad. Um, for some, I think it's a deep depression. For others, I think it's just, it's the entry level of depression. And, and I want to say to you, um, you got to do something other than just staying in your house right now. You got to connect with some people. Even if you don't want to, you got to connect by phone. You got you to gotta, you gotta at least go outside and breathe some air, okay? Um, and I know that's not the case for all of you watching today, but for some, I just, I suspect some of you, you've come to a place of sadness that if it keeps going in this direction, it's going to end up in a really bad place. So we want to offer our help, more than willing to talk with you. The other thing is, 8 o'clock is there for you. 8 o'clock is, is an opportunity to come together with other people. It's a, it's a vulnerable service. Everybody wears a mask. Everybody's spread out. There aren't more than 25 people in the room. I, and I told them today, I was like, you know, reach out to some people. Now, we don't, wanna, we don't want that <laughs> service to become crowded. You know, we want to keep it. We want to keep it spread out. But um, please hear me and hear the hearts of the people who love you. Uh, it would be really easy to just continue to dig a deep hole and find yourself in a place of sadness that's hard to overcome. So we love you, and we look forward to seeing you soon.